Shalom, everyone. We uh, apologies. Uh, we were having some technical difficulties. We still kind of are, but we are going to continue on. Welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. I am Boyce Washington. And today on the other side of me is, as always, the pastor, Richard Washington. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to uh, put them either in the chat or into the or email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. If you know, we've been uh, doing a series, uh, The Science of the Sacrifice, and today we are on part seven. Now, today, because of technical difficulties, we will not have the video of the pastor, uh, but we have him on audio and everything. So, Pastor, I'm going to turn it over to you. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, what, what we want to do is uh, continue where we left off uh, last week. Now, we had talked about the two atoms, and talking about the two atoms, we want to continue to see how the two atoms connect with the plan of salvation. So what we want to do is to see how the previous studies of the two atoms correspond with the way that we see uh, the great plan of salvation as far as the sacrificial system. So this is what we want, want to consider. So with that in mind, let us have a word of prayer. Our loving Father, as we look into your word and as we decipher your word, even though there's not the video that may use the voice to be able to com convey your message. And as we go into it, that we can be able to see the connection between the two atoms and the sacrificial system. Bless my audience. Bless my technologists. Bless me. And bless each person that shall engage in this study that we may be the better for it. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. I'm trust that you can hear me okay, and uh, what we want to do, if you have your Bibles, and in your Bibles, we want to use a few texts as we get into our subject today. And one of the texts that we're going to use is found in the book of Leviticus, and we want to get that one first, and then another text that we want to use is found in the book of Exodus. So we want to look at those two respective texts as we go into our subject today. Now, these two texts are going to be pivotal in our study to be able to see where we are going with this. So let us turn to Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus chapter 4. And in Leviticus chapter 4, we want to consider verses 32 through 35. Okay? Leviticus. Looking at chapter 32. Not chapter 32, but... Uh, verses 32 to 35 in the fourth chapter of the book 
of Leviticus. Now here it reads, and started with verse 32, it said, And if he bring a lamb for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish, and he shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering and slay it for a sin offering in the place where where they kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall take of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of burnt offering and shall pour or and shall pour out all of the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar. He shall take away all the fat thereof as the fat of the lamb is taken away from the sacrifice of the peace offerings and the priest shall burn them upon the altar according to the offerings made by fire unto Yah and the priest shall make an atonement for his sin that he hath committed and it shall be forgiven him. Okay, so this was talking about when they brought a lamb uh, for the sin offering. Those were the specifications that Moses was given in Mount Sinai, that when they uh, sin, that's what they should bring. Okay, now what we're going to look at is, uh, we're going to turn to the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, we're going to use chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30, and what we want to consider is verses 19 and 20. Exodus chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. Now here we find in this particular verse, verses uh, something about the brazen labor that was put into the court of the sanctuary, and the Bible says, it says, For Aaron and his son shall wash their hands, and their feet there, when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. For when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto Yah. So what he is telling Moses there is they had an altar, and that particular altar was to make sure that they washed and they were clean in order to go into the sanctuary. In other words, whenever they went into the sanctuary, they couldn't take any anything that was considered uh, dirt or filth. They had to be clean. And it's very necessary that they be clean because if they weren't clean, uh, Elohim said they were coming at the expense of their life. They could be destroyed or killed if they weren't clean. So that was very important. Uh, that they they be able to watch. So here we have the scenario, and the scenario is simply this. The sacrifice that they had, it had to be uh, washed of the blood. Once they slain the sacrifice, then the blood was to be able to uh, atone for their sins, but they had to wash away the blood as well when they went into the sanctuary and some of the blood, according to the scriptures, that blood was to be uh, put upon the horns 
there were four horns on the altar, and those four horns they they applied the blood. And so, what we want to do is to look at that scenario and what we have dealt with are the two Adams, respectively, the Adam, the father of the human race. And we look at the second Adam, the father of the spiritual uh, race. Uh, the human, we have the human family and the spiritual family. Adam is considered the father of the human family. And the second Adam, which is Yeshua, he was the father of the spiritual family. And we pointed out that we, like the first Adam, was born in sinful flesh into this world for the first time, and we are born into the kingdom of Yah the second time in the spirit. However, for Yeshua, it was just the opposite. He was born of the Holy Spirit in the kingdom of Yah the first time, and he is born into the world, this world, the second time in the flesh. Now, as we keep this order in mind, we want to align these orders with our salvation by associating them with the sacrificial system. So as we look at the sacrificial system, we want to keep that, that in mind. Now, now as, as we do so, we will tie them into the animal sacrificial system as portrayed in the ancient sanctuary's tabernacle in the wilderness. We will reference this part of our study as the typical sacrifice, and we will call it the substitutional atonement. The substitutional atonement. In ancient Israel, when a person sought for forgiveness of sin, a ram or a lamb, a goat, or a bullock was brought to the sanctuary tabernacle to the priest to be sacrificed in one's behalf. If a, pers if a person or if the repentant or if the repentant person brought an appropriate animal sacrifice for his sin offering, it was taken from among the herd or the flock. It's found in Leviticus 1-2. One, one, they said they had to get it from the herd or the flock. Now, once having brought the sacrificial offering for sin, there was a certain protocol that was followed. Such a protocol as this, we reference as the sacrificial protocol, of which we call the atonement process. So when we talk about the sacrificial protocol, we're talking about the atonement process. Let us now concern ourselves uh, with this process. Now, what we're going to do, we're going to start start this process today, but next week, uh, if it's his will, we're going to continue with the process. So we want to get into the process today. The atonement process largely has to do with the steps involved in being atoned for one's sins. We will make reference to these steps as the sacrificial steps. However, we will call them the atonement order. So the sacrificial steps is what we call the atonement order. We observe this order as our cleansing from sin, 
let us see what this order entails. Okay, so now this part of our discourse, we're talking about the atonement order, okay? There's a number of, uh, uh, well, there are a number of appropriate animal sacrifice sacrifices taken from one's herd or flock, even though we, they could use a they could use a ram or goat or a bullock or a lamb. Now, what we want to do in in order to illustrate the atonement process, we 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 we're going to take a lamb. We could use any of them, but I've chosen the lamb. Because in all of the sacrifices, basically, basically you do the same thing with each of the sacrifices. But I've chosen the lamb. Okay, the atonement order is what makes up the atonement process. There are several steps in the atonement order, which we reference to as the sacrificial steps. We will call these steps the atonement phases. Let us get started with these atonement phases. Now, there, there, there are a number of, of phases in the atonement process. But as we look at each phase, we want to be able to understand what each phase involves. Now, as I said, we'll get started on the phases this week. And by his grace, next week, we'll continue on, on the phases. Now, so far, I think we have about six phases. So what we want to do today, I want to cover three of the phases. And then next week, we'll look forward to covering, covering the other three phases. Now, basically, the texts that we have already read are sufficient to cover the phases thus far. Okay, now... The atonement phase one. The atonement phase one, what happens is the repentant, which is the person that has sinned, the repentant brings a lamb to the sanctuary tabernacle to be assisted by the priest in the atonement. Okay, now that, that's very important. In the typical phase, whenever a person sinned and they were they were aware of the sin that they committed, then the mother, the father, the children, the uncles, the aunts, and everybody in the family had been taught by Moses that if you sin, you had to bring a sacrifice. And as I said, we pointed out we want to use the lamb at this juxtaposition. And so when they sin, they had to bring a lamb. Okay, if, say, for instance, two little kids. Say, for instance, a brother and sister were outside playing, and all of a sudden, uh, the little uh, the, 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 the brother uh, somehow uh, fell down, and when he fell down, he said a word that he shouldn't have said. And then his sister said, ooh, ooh. She said, I'm going to tell mommy, you're going to have to get a lamb. Okay, so it was well understood that whatever, that when you had a sin, uh, you bring a lamb. Okay, that was the first thing. The repentant brings a lamb to the sanctuary to assist the priest, to be assisted by the priest for the atonement. Okay, so the first thing is to bring the lamb. 
got to have the lamb, okay? Now, what we're going to look at is that that was uh, the atonement phase one. And then when we go into the atonement phase two, the repentant would lay both hands upon the head of the lamb and confess over it the transgressions committed. By so doing, at least two interactions were taking place simultaneously. They were going on at the same time. These two interactions are referred to as the confessional interactions, and we call them the catharsis, cathar catharsis, the catharsis exchange. Let us observe these exchanges, the catharsis exchange. Now, catharsis is spelled C-A-R-T-H-A-R-S-I-S, C-A-R-T-H-A-R-S-I-S, called the catharsis exchange. In other words, the catharsis is a word that means to cleanse. When you get a catharsis, you're getting a cleansing. You're cleansing something out. So when they brought the lamb, which was phase one, and in phase two, they had to put their hands on the head of the sacrifice. And in doing so, they were to confess their sins over the head of that lamb that they had brought to sacrifice. So what we're looking at here is in the confessional process, they are telling Elohim of the sins that they have committed. And as their hands are upon the head of the sacrifice, they are telling their sins to Elohim. But at the same time, those sins are being transferred in an exchange. So what happens in the catharsis exchange is that as the repentant speaks about the sinful condition or what is in his life, while his hands are on the head of the lamb, those sins are passed on down to the life of the lamb. And as the sins of the repentant are being passed down to the lamb, the innocent, blemish-free purity of the lamb is passed on to the repentant by faith. In other words, when they came in, they confessed those sins, they had faith to believe that those sins went down to the lamb and the lamb's innocent righteousness came to the sinner. This is an exchange of a sinful life for that of a righteous one. So what we're seeing here is that they brought the lamb in the first phase and then in the second phase, the second phase, they put their hands on the head of the lamb and as they put their hands on the head of the lamb, then they confess their sins. And as they confess those sins, it was telling Elohim what they had done. But at the same time, those sins that they were confessing was going into the lamb. And the lamb, who had not sinned, because they had to bring a perfect lamb, you couldn't have any defects because that represents perfection. So when they had the perfect lamb, then that lamb's uh, perfect obedience and innocence and purity 
went into the man or the repentant, and so they exchanged lives. They exchanged lives. The lamb gave the perfect righteous life, and the repentant gave the imperfect sinful life to the lamb. So the lamb received the sinful life of the repentant, and the repentant received the precious life of the lamb. Okay, so those are the first two phases, okay? So when we look at the first two phases, we are, we are looking at the atonement phase one to bring the lamb, and then the atonement phase two was to make confession of the sin over the lamb to be able to receive their righteous life. Okay, now, uh, the atonement phase three. Okay, now we want to look at the atonement phase, phase three. Okay, now, the first phase, bring the lamb. Second phase, confession over the lamb. The third phase, the repentant takes a knife and cuts the throat of the lamb himself and the priest catches some of the blood in a basin. Whenever someone sins, this means that someone has to die for that sin. The repentant who has sinned has two choices to decide who should die for his sins. So let us look at these two choices. So whenever, whenever a person in ancient Israel sinned, they had two choices. Two choices. The first choice is what we call, is what we reference to as self-sacrifice. And we call this a personal atonement, okay? Now, what I want you to notice about uh, a self-sacrifice that we reference to as a personal atonement. Now, most of the basis of every... I would say even religion or every religion that proclaims salvation, they use this particular choice. Okay. In other words, at the basis of the personal atonement or the self-sacrifice, which we call the personal atonement, the basis of all heathen religions is that they can save themselves. Okay, that's the first choice. Okay, how does personal atonement work? Here's how it works. Here's how it works. Now, when we talk about that personal choice, a personal atonement is chosen by the re if the if a personal atonement is chosen by the repentant is where he accepts both the sentence and the penalty of death. When we understand what a covenant is, it, express, it expresses that if the covenant is broken by any of the parties of the covenant who agree to keep it, that if the one who breaks it, then the one who breaks it must give one's life. An animal, an animal in days of old was split in two parts. And those who made the covenant would walk through the blood of the two pieces 
as an indication that if they broke the covenant, they would give their life just like the slain animals whose blood they was walking through. So when you made a covenant in the days of old, you would take an animal, slice it in two, and then both parties would walk through the blood. And as you walk through that blood, you were saying, if I break any part of this covenant, just like this animal gave its life, I will give my life. So the blood represents life, according to Leviticus. So if a covenant is broken, it demands the life of the covenant breaker. However, there was another choice. In other words, if you broke the covenant in the first choice, and that's what you chose, you could die yourself, and that's it. You would pay the price because you broke the covenant. You can die yourself. Okay, You can choose that covenant. Many people choose that covenant today. That if they do something wrong, they say, I can, I can pay the price. Okay, that You can choose. That is your choice. Okay, However, there was another choice that one could choose if one were a covenant breaker. The second choice that we are looking at is in reference to someone replacing the sinner, which is a replacement sacrifice of which we call the vicarious atonement. Now, when we talk about the word vicarious, V-I-C-A-R-I-U-S, vicarious means something or someone who stands in the place of another. That's, that's what it means to be vicarious. You stand in the place of another. Okay? So when you stand in the place of another uh, of, of another person, it is not actually that person. So when we look at a vicarious atonement, if chosen by the repentant, is where he accepts someone else to both take his sentence and the penalty of death. Consequently, when the repentant brought a lamb to atone for his sins, in essence, such an act as this typified that he had brought someone else to die in his place. So when you talk about a vicarious uh, atonement, you're talking about someone else to take your place. So when they brought that lamb and they chose to bring that lamb, then they did not have to die for breaking the covenant. They used that lamb, and by using that lamb, the lamb would take their death sentence and also their death penalty and die for the person. The person didn't have to die who broke it because they now have a lamb. But see, in that first choice, they could choose that they can die themselves. But in the second vicarious uh, atonement, then they were saying, I choose for, for someone else to die in my place. The personal atonement says, hey, I'm going to die for what I did. But the second choice is getting someone else to die in one's place. Now, even though the lamb he brought was to be without any defect, representing innocence, perfection, and purity, 
So the perfection that we're looking at is what would be passed on to the repentant for sin that was infested in the in the repentance. Now the innocent lamb dying in the repentant for the repentant, then that means that the repentant could live. Okay, so those are the first three phases of the atonement process. Okay, so as we look at those first three phases of the atonement process this week, we're going to cover next week uh, some other, the other, I believe the other three, so that we can see how this atonement process is being worked out. Eternal Father, we thank you for what we have gone over thus far. And we ask that as we look at this atonement process, that we'll be able to discern the steps that we take in order to get redemption. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen and amen. 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 Just one second. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. All right. So let me just go over and repeat. The phase one was uh, the bringing of a lamb. Phase two was the confession. And phase three was the self-sacrifice. Uh, well, now, phase three has two choices. Uh-huh. One is self-sacrifice which is a personal sacrifice and then the other is a replacement sacrifice or which we call the vicarious sacrifice and that's why you brought the lamb because you wanted to have a vicarious you didn't want to die for what you broke you want to have that lamb to atone for you okay so that phase three has two choices you could either choose to die yourself or give someone else or bring that lamb and let the de- lamb die in your place. All right. And so we have a question, and uh-huh. it reads, in Leviticus 4.32, what was the significance of the sin offering being a female lamb? Let me see, 4.32? Leviticus 4.32. Let me see. Let me turn down and see what the context is. Okay. Okay, let me see. Uh, da, 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 da. Mm. Let me see. All right, let me see here. It says, and if he and if he bring a lamb for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. Okay, so uh the uh from the way that you ask in the question, it's quite a bit in the text. But what you, what you, uh, what 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 the questioner is asking specifically is, uh, why bring, why were they to bring a female without blemish? Mm-hmm. Okay, 
I'm, I'm understanding that that has to mean if they are to bring the female, the opposite would be why not bring a male? Okay, because you only have the male and the female. Okay, mm -hmm. so okay now I'm gonna answer this in a rather simplistic way, not to be literal the question, but the fact that uh, I'm not sure the reason of why they should bring a female lamb other than the fact that Elohim told Moses and Moses told the people this when you bring the lamb I want you to bring a female they were following the directions of what Moses had specified to them so that's why they were to bring the female because that's the specifications that were given now I, at this point, do not know of any other reason why the female was, was, was brought in this particular instance other than that's what he told uh, them to bring when they brought a lamb. Now, I may can do some more research if I have time to find out specifically why Elohim chose to say, uh, a female, but that's the only thing I can give is that the instructions was to do that. Yeah, because you know that's interesting. Um, is there a specific reason why he said female as opposed to a, just any lamb, male or female, and everything? Now, were, were actual uh, male lambs brought for sacrifice also? Or run that by me again. Were uh, lamb, male lambs also brought as a sacrifice? Well, that's a good question. Now, if you read in the same chapter now, if you read in, uh, like, for rulers now, they said when a ruler sins, mm -hmm. it said in, in, in uh, Leviticus 4.23, it says, which is just a reverse of 32, it says, or if his sin, wherein he has sinned, Come to his knowledge, he shall bring his offering, a kid of goats, a male without blemish. Now, here it talks about a male. Mm. And I guess we could ask the same question. Why, why do you choose a male and not a female? Yeah. But I think, but I think the questioner uh, is bringing in a good question because I think generally that when they had an offering, it was a male. But here, when it talks about the lamb, it takes on a female characteristic. That is the interesting question. Okay, uh, there were males that 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 were offered, but I'll I'll have to see on other lambs were there male lambs that were offered. Mm. I mean, I could offer I can I can give a lot of specula speculation, but I don't I don't want to build a, an argument on speculation. I want to have some biblical basis by what I say. Yeah, but basically, uh, that's a good question. But other than the fact that they were the stipulations to be given, is all that I can offer at this particular uh, point. Okay, and we have another question, mm -hmm. and it reads: Could a person keep track of all their sins during the day, and then sacrifice one lamb, or would they have to sacrifice a lamb for each individual sin committed? 
great question. Okay. Well, you, you got a, uh, let me answer it this way. Uh, on the day of atonement and what you, what you notice on the day of atonement was that, uh, when you went to get forgiveness for your sins, what would happen would be that not only would you get forgiveness for the sins of that particular day, but on the day of atonement, you would get forgiveness for sins for the whole year. Okay. Now I said that to say this, if on the day of atonement, that if you could get forgiveness for sins for the whole year, then I would, I would assume that it, if you sin in a day mm-hmm. and you sin, uh, up until the point that you brought the lamb, I would think that up until the point you let us say you may have two or three sins uh, when you come to the to the priest. Well, when you get to atonement, all three are going to be forgiven. Okay, but let's let's draw out another scenario. Let us say you sin, you came to the priest, you got forgiven for the sin, then you went away, and for some reason you sinned again. Well, either you're going to go back to the priest that evening or the next day you're going to go and you're going to get, get, you know, take the lamb and get forgiveness for the sins that you've committed in the past. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would think no matter how many sins that you committed in a day, it would, you, all you would need is one sacrifice. You wouldn't need uh, a lamb for every sin. I think collectively, that lamb would be sufficient to cover the whole house. Now, now here's what I'm saying. Now, when you go down, which we are looking forward to, uh, keeping Passover, when you go down into Egypt, Elohim said to the people down in Egypt, he told Moses that you're getting ready to come out of Egypt, and I want every house to have a lamb. And he said, if a house is too small for a lamb, let them share a, uh, a lamb with another house. Mm. So, so now, if you had one house mm-hmm. and one lamb, then that one lamb covered that entire house. Mm. So, one sin or many sins can be atoned just by the blood of one lamb. So, I would think, no, you don't have to bring all of those offerings, but just one lamb would be sufficient to cover the whole whole house or the many sins that that were committed. Because, you know, going back to phase two confession, mm-hmm. and didn't you say that they will place their hands on the lamb as yeah. to place the sins on upon that lamb? Yeah. In other words, when you went to the sanctuary and they would hold that lamb and you'd be there with your priest and you, you get in front of that lamb and put both of your hands on his head and confess every sin that you've committed. And then once you do that, you cut that lamb's throat and get the blood. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. You just confess every sin. One lamb is just sufficient. You don't need a, need a whole lot of them. And, you know, I know, um, I think we had discussed this before, and you had said that the one of the reasons I think Yahusha had to come and die is that if the sacrificial system was to still go on to this day that we probably would have ran out of 
uh, things to sacrifice, lambs to sacrifice. Yeah, at the, at, at, at the point in which they were sacrificing, because when you read in the writings, I believe of Josephus, he was saying on the Passover how many lambs were sacrificed. Mm-hmm. And if you multiply those lambs that were sacrificed, even today, I doubt if you have a lamb on the planet, they, it was sacrificed so many. But but the point is, uh, when we look at look at that particular scenario, it lets us know that uh, the the animal sacrificial system is pointing to something else rather than uh, just the animals themselves. Because if Elohim chose a system that would run that would run out of sacrifices, mm-hmm. then uh, that that in itself would have been an imperfect sacrificial system because mm. you'd be running out of the very thing that's supposed to give you redemption. Wow. <clears throat> so as I said, <clears throat> at this particular, <clears throat> at, at this, <clears throat> at this particular, <clears throat> at this particular study, <clears throat> we are looking at the typical service, mm-hmm. and then when we get into the anti-typical service, we'll see a lot more. All right. With that, we will go into our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. Today in Let's Talk About It, I want to talk about uh, serving two masters. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Again, that's Matthew Chapter 6, verse 24, as we read that. And it reads, No man can serve two masters, for either will hate one and love the other, or else he would hold to one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve Elohim and mammon. So I think today, a lot of times I feel we are serving both two masters. And we know that, the one who created us, our Elohim, Yahuwah, we know that he is a jealous Elohim. So when we decide, and some people decide to keep Sunday as a day of rest over Saturday, will a jealous Elohim be okay with that? I mean, you know, we have to think about those things. So, Pastor, I would like to say, do you think us as a people, are we are serving two masters? Because at times it seems like um, when we know that we're committing sin, we constantly try to make justification for that sin. we we'll say, well, grace will cover me. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I think, I think what, what it is, uh, number one is that, when we feel that we can do contrary to what Elohim wants us to do and do some things right and then other things erroneous, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's accepted with him. It may be accepted with us. Mm-hmm. But when we look at a scenario like that, we have to look at it from, uh, from a, at least two angles. Number one, there are those who know mm-hmm. some things are right, but they're going to do it anyway, along with other things they may know to do right. Okay, for now, for that person, I, 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 don't, I don't think there's any tolerance, okay? Mm-hmm. But, but now, if, 
if we say that the person who may be uh, doing something wrong and right at the same time, then they may, this person may not have a knowledge that what they're doing is wrong. Mm -hmm. They may be doing some things right, but doing some things wrong as well. Now, if that is the case, then what I'm saying, I don't, I don't think Elohim would hold them accountable because they, they don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's like you got a lot of the false pharaohs who are in the pulpits in these churches. They are withholding the knowledge from the people, and a lot of people depend upon them to give them the right knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so since the right knowledge is not given to them, then he may not look at them so much as he would look at the person who actually knows. Mm. Because I think there's a scripture in the Bible that says that at your time of ignorance, I would that. Mm-hmm. But now he command men everywhere to repent. Once you get a knowledge, you got to repent. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Okay. And then the other thing is, some people say, you don't have to worry about doing that. You can do what you want to do. And they say, Elohim, he gives us grace. Mm-hmm. They said his his grace was covered up. Well, we have to look at grace, okay? Why do you need grace? Well, you need grace because you sin. You, you definitely need grace because you sin. Mm-hmm. Okay, but when you get to grace, do you continue to do wrong after receiving grace? To me, if you're going to continue to do wrong after you receive grace, to me that's not grace, that's disgrace. Mm. So, I'm saying, he doesn't give us grace to sin. He gives us grace to be able to overcome sin. Mm. And so, when we properly understand grace, then we we won't use grace to cover up sin. We'll use grace to do away with sin. And as we use grace to do away with sin, then that's the proper way that grace should should be handled. But, but there are many, they just say, well, you don't have to do anything. Yeah. Uh, his grace will cover you. Well, if you take that, that, that line of reasoning, then you, you, don't, you don't even have to worry about studying your Bible, going to church or doing anything. Because when you go to church and read your Bible, aren't you trying to understand what are the right things to do that Elohim would be pleased with us? So if you're just going to say, well, I can just do anything as grace of the covenant. Well, I mean, what needs you to have an evangelist or missionaries going different places of the world and teaching the world uh, about his righteousness and and all they all, and all you're saying is that whatever you do, grace is going to cover it. I mean, why why waste these millions and millions and billions of dollars in evangelism and all of that to teach the people how to do right? Mm-hmm. When grace gonna just cover them anyway, and they don't have to even worry about anything. Yeah. Oh, let, let, let's 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 look at this intelligently. Grace is not given us to sin. That's why He died on the cross. Grace is given to us to overcome sin, not to continue in it. Mm-hmm. And so when we use grace in its proper way, it is not the way that the world is saying everything is done away with. You don't have to worry about it. Grace gonna get you this. No, grace is given to you to be overcomers. Yeah. And even in the book of Revelation, it said they had overcome by the blood of Yeshua. It didn't say that those who just continue to sin, his grace is going to cover you. You got to be an overcomer if you're going to get into the kingdom. Yeah. 
Now, let me ask this, too, because I was having a conversation with someone and they, they were starting to get heated about it. But we have to think of it this way. If, if the scripture said you cannot serve two masters, we know there's two. We know it's the Yahuwah and we know there's Satan. Mm-hmm. So if you are a Sunday worshiper, you decide you want to eat pork, what Yahuwah has stated not to do, and you know these things are wrong because they are written in scriptures. Are you, no matter what religion you're part of, in essence, are you really serving Satan as opposed to Yahuwah? Because a lot of people have this notion that they are living their life according to the God of heaven, but they're not. At the end of the day, to me, you're serving Satan, not the true Elohim. Yeah. Uh, well, again, again, we, we we have to consider what a person is. Now, mm-hmm. if you if you've been taught all your life, you know that eating pork is okay. I mean, you you got some of the the brightest and the most intelligent preachers in a number of these pulpits, and they'll tell you point blank that was done away with. You know, mm. and they'll tell you even from the pulpit that you know I'm gonna give me that pork chop. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna eat that, and if you if you come up under that, I mean it's it's almost like uh, a lot of things that you learn to do in your religion is not what you have read; it's what you have observed. Mm-hmm. Okay? okay, now they have what some writings they call the targums. Mm-hmm. Okay, the targums they tell you about the scriptures, but the, what, what's unique about the Targums is that the Targums tell you how they actually lived. You follow what I'm saying? Uh-huh. The scriptures tell you what to do, but the Targums tell you how the people actually carried out what they were living. Just like, you, just like uh, when you come up in your family, they, your family didn't just, just sit down and just get the Bible and show you this and that. You learned a lot of how to serve Elohim by what your family was doing. Yeah. You observed that. It's like when you go to school to take English. You didn't learn English in school. You learned English at home. But when you got to school, they started giving you grammatical structures and, 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 and the verbs and the nouns and the adjectives and all that. You didn't get that at home, but you, your, your English started at home. And so what I'm saying is when you start uh, looking at the targums, they tell you how to act, act, actually live. So when you uh, take a person that has come up eating pork and stuff, uh, no doubt that, ha- that has been their, their upbringing. They have been taught that. Uh-huh. Now, they, does that excuse them? No, it doesn't. They, they can still come into a knowledge that is wrong. Now, once they come into that knowledge that is wrong, are they going to please man or are they going to please Elohim? So now when you say serve two masters, it is saying the master who wants you to eat that pork is the one who fell out of heaven. Mm-hmm. But the one who don't want you to eat that pork is the one who, who actually gave it in Leviticus and told you not to eat it in Leviticus 11. So now who are you going to follow? Leviticus 11 that Elohim gave 
or are you going to follow the society and the customs that people eat, you know, pork, shrimp, and all that other stuff that he says shouldn't eat? Mm-hmm. Now, if you got a knowledge of this, even though you've grown up with it and you know the truth, Elohim says you're not serving me if you do that. So we have to be very careful about how people grow up and the knowledge that they have because sometimes we can condemn before we understand really what's going on in the person's life. This is why a lot of times when you deal with individuals, you got to deal with them not collectively as a group because mm-hmm. if you look at collectively as a group, you got you got a, almost a whole nation eating pork and they, you know, that's what they do. Yeah. But when you look at them as an individual within the group, you got to see where they stand. Do they really know? Even though they have that Bible, do they really know? And if you talk to them, you find out, no, then you make an enlighten them now. If you talk to them and they say, well, I know it. And then they come up and say, well, you got to die of something. Well, but you know <laughs> that this is wrong. So if yeah. you know that that is wrong and you still do it, then I think, you, well, I know Elohim's going to call you, call you accountable for it. So is there, will there be a time, though, that uh, Yahuwah is going to hold people accountable? Yeah, I mean, he, he he's holding us accountable daily. But see, the thing is, mm-hmm. as long as we got breath, then we, we are held accountable for what we do because our life record is the one that's going to demonstrate wh- where we go. He's going to look at your entire life record. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he has the record. The angels got the ink on and they're writing. They, they, they know all about us, what we've eaten, how many meals we eat a day, how many naps we have taken. They, they got our whole life. So that that's not going to fool him. But the thing is, while we're living, every day we live, we're living on probation. And so the time that we check out of this world is a time that our record ends and that our probation closes. Mm-hmm. There ain't but two things can close your probation. That is, uh, when you die in this world, or if Yeshua would come, and whatever we're doing when Yeshua comes, that that's that's what it's going to be. Just like the Bible says, when he comes, I say, he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is unrighteous, let him be unrighteous still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And... <clears throat> And whatever condition that he catches us in when he comes, that's the condition that we're going to be in. If we're mm. doing a lot of things contrary to him, especially if we have a knowledge of it, then that's that's going to, that that that's the end of our probation. Yeah. Okay. Um, we have another question, and this is a very good question because I think us as people we discussed about pork and as we have different diets. So uh, the question is, someone asked me to do their grocery shopping. I was given a list. The list had a, had on it foods designated as unclean by Yah. This person is a Christian, but does not believe the food laws are still in effect. Is it wrong? Even more so, is it a sin for me to purchase those unclean foods for that person? Well, you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, people going to have you, they say they're Christians, you know, but they, they, are they really 
Oh, they really did follow of, 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 of him according to the word. It's one thing to use the label of Christians, but it's another thing to be able to not only use the word, but the content. Uh-huh. You know, you can see a label on something, but that doesn't mean that that label is proving what's on the inside. So we have to see if you're using the label, do you also have the content? Uh-huh. Okay. So if now, if you're saying that they gave you a list, you know, to go and buy stuff. Okay. Now I'm not sure what profession you're in that you are doing this, but it would appear to me, number one is if you got a list and you got some unclean things on there, then there's a number of things you can do. I mean, you 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 do have some options. And one of the options that you have, you you could say to the person that I do not buy stuff that I do not eat. Yeah. Because that's my that's my conviction. Mm-hmm. The rest of the stuff you have on the list. I can get. It's like when I used to be a social worker, when I got out of college, I hadn't gotten a call to the ministry yet. And so I went to take a social work job. And sometimes when I uh, got ready to eat lunch, I would go out and maybe buy me some fruits and vegetables, nuts and stuff to eat uh, until I can get home to get my supper, you know. So, And one particular day, the uh, lady, she, she wanted me uh, to pick up a, a sandwich at a kosher place. And uh, I think she either she asked for some pork or something. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I said, well, I don't know if I can get that, you know. Yeah. But I think when I did go to the store, when I, it was a kosher store, uh, I think Jews ran it. Mm-hmm. So I got a, a nice beef sandwich, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't get, I dare not get a pork. And I've had instances where, uh, uh, before, let me see. Yeah, I think I was. Uh, I think I was a, a, a person. I, I think I was in a church on on, on this example. Uh, a person uh, wanted me uh, to get them some beer. I think me and my cousin, and uh, I think we 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 did get it. Mm-hmm. But I was I was younger in the faith at that time. I was I was younger in the faith. And then after we got it, I regretted that I did that. Okay, now I was wrong for getting it. Okay, but because my conscience bothered me, then that strengthened me even a lot more for the future that I said, well, you know, next time that happened, uh, I'll, I'll have to tell them. I'll have to tell them. Okay. Now, the other thing that one can do if, if you have a, a person, Telling you that they 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 want want certain things, uh, you, you you can you can lay it out on the table for them that uh, if my job depended upon me, you know, buying things that I that is against my conscience, mm-hmm. you may have to just find somebody else, you know, because. Yeah. I, I, I can't go go against my conscience to do what you are ask, asking me to do. Now, I have I've had, had this situation, but I don't know if you can do it yourself. 
I've been in situations as a chaplain that people, uh, now I, can, I can't just be mean to people, you know, I'll try to be, you know, pastoral, but they'll be asking me to get them coffee with caffeine in it, you know, and, and uh, I have a problem with that. So what I did, uh, I let them know, I said that, you know, you know, there are some things that uh, uh, I don't, uh, that I don't do. But what I am going to do, I'm going to get you another chaplain because we have so many chaplains that they're going to serve you and, and they, they can handle that. Mm-hmm. So I get another chaplain and let that chaplain go in and deal with it because they don't have no problem with it anyway. And we are a staff of chaplains that where one chaplain have a weakness, another may not have. Yeah. You know, Just like a lot of times when they go, in, go into the hospital and they find somebody of my faith, uh, first thing they do is turn it up to me because they feel inadequate of handling that chaplain because they're not of the faith. So we're doing the same thing. I turn them over to stuff they do, and they turn them over to stuff that I do. So you may get somebody else uh, to say, you know, y'all can get that, but I can't. I can get you the kosher stuff. Yeah. So those are some of the alternatives. But when you get into the Word, the Word will teach you wisdom and how to go about it. Now, uh, one of the common problems that that uh, people who are keeping a Sabbath and the feast days, one of the common problems that they have is this, is that they run into situations that uh, they they come to me on, and 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 and, and when they come to me, I, I I try to tell them that there are certain things that you do and certain things that you do not do. Just like they they would say, well, what do you do if uh, they want you uh, if you're on a job or if you got a business and you you don't keep Easter and they keep Easter and you keep different days. I said, well, according to the biblical ethics is, it is if, if you're working on a business and there are certain things you do and certain things that your employees do mm-hmm. that are different, so let's say case an example. If I don't believe in Christmas and my employer, uh, or let us say you got a, a, an employee and an employer relationship, and the employer say, well, you know, I keep Christmas. You say, well, I don't. And then you tell an employer that I keep Passover, and he said, I don't. Well, it's a trade-off then. It's a trade-off. You would say, if you're in business together, you would tell in the employee that don't believe in Passover, he said, well, I, I said, well, I tell you what, I'll work on your Christmas, and you work on my Passover. You, you see? Because mm-hmm. that's what they do anyway. So you, you're making a trade-off. So if you can make a trade-off, you're pretty good too. But the thing, but the thing about it is, if you go on a job, not knowing uh, what what to expect, one of my first things is to lay it out on the table initially when you get on that job. And once you lay it out and be honest with it, and they know where you're coming from then I think it's going to lessen the pain in the future when they come to something that you do not believe in doing. Yeah. Because I know, uh, especially when it comes to meat, since I've been a vegetarian, vegan, pretty much, well, vegetarian most of my life and vegan recently. Um, when it comes to people that want meat, especially if it's something that I know that is against what uh, Yah says is for us to eat, I just have to let them know, like, 
I, by my conscience, I cannot get you that at all. Um, you can send somebody else to get it for you, but I can't. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, now if it's something on their culture, be like, yes, I can get you this. I have no problem with that. But if it's something that a thing that's unclean and unhealthy, um, then I just have to be honest and tell them, you know, I can't, for my conscience, I can't get you that. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, you may not believe like I do. You may think it's okay. But if I don't, I have to take a stand on my own and say, look, I can't do that. Because like you, like you, when you said about the beer, it's going to mess with my conscience. Y'all mm-hmm. says not to eat pork. This person asked for pork and I go buy it for them. It's just something I can't do because it's like, in my opinion, and this is just from me, it feels like I'm condoning it. You know, if mm-hmm. I was to go out there and purchase it for you and I know that it's wrong. Now, mm-hmm. if, it's, if, it, if it's something, like you said, it's beef, chicken, even still, I'm, I'm like, you know, since I never eat meat, I'm kind of like I don't really want to buy any of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you but, can go that way. Yeah, you know, and honestly, with me being vegan, I'm not being the best person probably to pick that stuff out for you anyway because I wouldn't know what I was doing. Yeah, you know? I so, mm-hmm. you know, I just have to tell them. And then the thing is, if – I've told them before that I, I don't eat these things and you know these things. It kind of, to me, is a sense of arrogance for you to present this to me to get it. Now, if you don't know, um, then, you know, that that's different if I never told you and everything. And if I never told you, this is going to be the perfect opportunity to me to honestly to witness and say, well, the Bible says this. This is the reason why I cannot get this for you and everything. Because just because they're Christian, just like you discussed earlier, if they're sitting um, in a pulpit with with a minister who's withholding the truth from them and they don't know, this may be a perfect opportunity to witness and to let them know. Uh-huh. You know. Yeah, well, sometimes uh, you can tell a person and they can, they can be arrogant enough to come back to you. Mm-hmm. But the arrogance doesn't stop with them. If they're arrogant enough to come back, I'm arrogant enough to say, I don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And we have another question that asks, how is caffeine a sin? Well, sin just like uh, smoking a cigarette. Yeah. Like when you deal with nicotine, you know, it's something that is taken into the system. And when you deal with the Bible, you know, even though I know a lot of people who study the dietary law, they mostly study the the meats. They don't look at the plants and the uh, herbs and stuff of the earth. Mm-hmm. There are certain things, there are certain herbs that are poison. Okay. They are poisonous herbs and they have a, a negative uh, reaction on the body. And when you look at uh, caffeine, the caffeine that is in coffee or cocoa or some of these chocolates, it it does something to one's nervous system. This is why a lot of times when people are on a highway and and people who have to stay up late and people who may do a lot of a lot of shows or you know at midnight or something, they use that they drink that caffeine because it kind of keeps you awake 
you know, it keeps, it, it, it kind of uh, stimulates your nervous system, you know, but if you get a lot of that caffeine in you, it can have a detrimental effect. And anything that is detrimental that is going into the body, you would consider sinful. And so anything that is sinful is not the best course to take. So when you look at the fact that in the plant world that you got poisonous plants and you got edible plants, and Elohim would want us to eat the edible plants and to try to get those into our system. And then when you look at a lot of things like teas and stuff like that, they got edible teas and they then they got something, some of them, some of them, some of the teas got what you call tannin poison in it. Now tannin uh, is some of the elements that they use in shoe polish in order to polish your shoes. And they have certain teas that have that tannin in it that causes uh, a negative reaction in the body as well, just like caffeine. So what makes it sin is the fact that you're going contrary to eating and putting into your system something that is detrimental to the system. So in order to be healthy, you want to try to put only healthy stuff, try to get plenty of sleep and water in your system so that you can be healthy. So that would be the advice from the scriptures that I would give you. Yeah, but when it, when it, the thing though, you know, because I've heard this about caffeine, um, I think it get mixed up because especially when it comes to like chocolate, there are different types what people categorize as caffeine. And really, honestly, chocolate doesn't really have a whole lot of caffeine. And it's not the same as like the caffeine that is in colas. That is something totally different in everything. Um, it depends on the source. And um, I know you said that caffeine has a negative impact, but does it of it may affect people in different ways. Some people, it may not have no type of effect on them. Well, if you, well, if you take that stand, then I can, I can, I can say the same thing with pork. It doesn't have the same effect on a lot of people than, than others. That's true. And if you come out with the fact that uh, it doesn't have as much in some as it does in others. Then but it's not the same. It's not the same thing. Yeah. But what I'm saying is it may not be the same thing, but the principle is the same. Did Elohim say, that you take it because of how much is in there? Or did he say, just don't take it? Yeah, but I mean, at the same token, though, where does it say in scriptures that uh, caffeine is a negative thing? How do we know? Because I would think it's something, there are herbs out here that is really poisonous that if you ate them, it's going to instantly kill you. Is caffeine one of those type of things? Well, I might not. Everything that don't instantly kill you don't, doesn't mean you take it just like a cigarette may not instantly kill you, mm -hmm. but is it right to smoke it? In other words, the principle is don't even start with a little bit. Now, you must remember that Adam didn't and Eve didn't eat a whole meal from the tree. They just took a bite and that was it. Mm -hmm. So you can start with small stuff and that'll lead to a larger and larger until you become addicted to it. A lot of people that you see that is eating pork and a lot of other stuff. They have started when they was young. This is why it's so hard to break those habits because they started with a small and now it's gotten so big you can't deal with it. Just like the the, the example is it, uh, the example is uh, an old man and his grandson was walking down the street. 
and he was just a little little fellow, about six years old. And uh, and when they got down the street, the little boy looked at a tree. Instead of the tree growing vertical, it was growing horizontal. And so he asked his grandfather. He said, he said, he said, Grandpa, he said, why, why is that tree going crooked? And his grandfather told him. He said, well, son. He said, when that tree was growing, nobody straightened it out. And the reason why we got people eating all this stuff, that when they were growing up, nobody straightened them out because they could eat a little bit. Uh-huh. And when you eat a little bit, it's almost like alcohol. You drink a little bit, then pretty soon you build up a, more of an appetite, and then you're an alcoholic before you know it. But where did it start? It started with a little bit. So what I'm saying is Elohim didn't say it comes in different stages and different forms. But you can eat it if it's a little bit or if it's a big bit. He is saying that no matter where caffeine comes, even though caffeine and and, and, and nicotine is not mentioned in the Bible, the principle is there that anything that is detrimental to the human body should not be taken in, not on the basis of how much it's taken or what kind of condition that it comes in. He said, don't take it. So I, I would have it, to go with that concept. But where, where in Scripture, as far as plants, does it say? Because... There's going to be the argument. He said every herb yielding seed. If And then well, if that's the case, too, did well, Satan just, tamper with some of the seeds to alter it? Well, let me say this. Satan has tampered with everything on the planet Earth. So we have to go by the knowledge that we have. Uh-huh. Now, the Bible says in both in Ezekiel, <clears throat> in, Ezekiel <clears throat> in Ezekiel, as well as in the book of Revelation, he says that in the heaven, you got the tree of life that yields its fruits and the leaves are for the healing of the nation. Mm-hmm. And if you read in the book of Ezekiel, he also talks about uh, that the earth was for the healing of the nation if, uh, and the leaves are for the healing uh, of one's one's body. Mm-hmm. And if you go into the, the Sefer Bible, the Sefer Bible plainly says that your medicine is in the earth, mm-hmm. in the plants. He points specifically to the plants. Now, when he points to the plants, they also let you know that the wholesome plants are the ones that we are to take. So the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it may not, it may not have had any evil, it may not have had any substance that hurt you in it. But it was the fact that Elohim told them not to partake of it. Because a lot of things in the Bible, you have to look at the principle rather than the substance. Because if you look at the substance, it's like a person might say, Well, you know, how are you gonna tell me not to smoke? That's a that's that's a herb, and then another person comes and say, "Well, I want to get some recreation marijuana." How can you tell me marijuana is not in Bible? Then another person comes and say, "Hey, I got some heroin. Where's heroin in the Bible?" So you but, got all but, these people. But, but he, mm-hmm. the, he, the only argument I have with that, when you mention heroin and you mention cigarettes, that is something that has been taken and altered to a whole different state from its original form in everything. Because heroin, as my understanding, it's a combination of several different things. It smells man-made chemicals, just like cocaine, in order to make that into the substance it is. Not coming straight from the plant. Because I'm almost pretty sure uh, uh, it's some drug, I think, is made from poppy seeds, I believe. But you have to do certain things, like poppy seeds, to eat on your own. From my understanding, it's okay. But when you take these things and put these other chemicals to it, then it changes the whole format to something that is not good for your body. Well, 
Well, I know it's a law against even growing marijuana in your house now. Let me say this. Mm-hmm. If you if you take that particular stand and what, you, what you're saying, then uh, the best thing you can do is just go ahead just go ahead and endorse it and go along with the government because government is approving all of this stuff. So you would have no problem because mm-hmm. the government is telling you can, you can do it. And now the word says that anything that is detrimental should not be put into the body, even with the herbs. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a principle. Now, when you look at Genesis, when he made all of the fruits and the vegetables, you know, that was basically what they would eat for the trees. And then the herbs, they, it appears that came a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I'm saying is that every herb that was considered uh, what you might say wholesome, that was what they used to eat. Even in the parables of Yeshua, he said that these, uh, you got to wheat and you got to tares. So what I'm saying, there's both some evil herbs as well as some good herbs, just like meat, good meat and bad meat. So herbs fall in the same category because one of my favorite authors, she says that uh, the, the Satan has got into the laboratory of the earth. So what did he do? According to what you just said, is that they take the plants and they alter them, but I don't see them taking an orange and stuff and alter that as they do marijuana, heroin, and, and all these other, other stuff. So I'm saying yeah. if, if the laboratories are taking what is good and you're saying it's good before they get into the laboratories, I'm not even seeing people going to the uh, to the plant itself. They go to the laboratories of the drugstores and these places that sell the herbs that has been altered. Yeah, because I mean, even I even growing it in, I don't know if they're growing it in the house to get it, and if they are, yeah. I don't know how good it would be, even if they ate it fresh from the herb. But that, that's just like with marijuana. <clears throat> when you, if you were to just eat it as a plant. Um, it would have no effect on you from my understanding. It's not until you smoke it, which I don't agree with, that it gives you effects of high or you mix it with some type of fat in baking it where you get some high. It has to be altered. But if, like I was watching some Jamaican guy, he was saying there were some nutritionist principles of marijuana, but it was in a tea form where it won't get you high and everything not so much if you smoke it because i I think you know any type of smoke you inhale whether cigarette marijuana or even something on fire that's detrimental to your lungs and everything but i just wonder you know how we say uh there's good and evil is some things okay in a particular format but then when it's changed is detrimental in another form you know Yeah, well, I guess one would have to make one's decision, you know, as to what we want to do, because most stuff that we get in a poisonous plant, I don't think they're getting from the plant itself. Yeah, no, I don't think, yeah. I don't think, like you said, I don't think we're getting it from uh, the plant itself. And, and, you know, honestly, when when we look at um, a lot of our foods, the more the item that we buy whether it's still good to eat or not, if it's manufactured and processed, um, the more it's processed, the less nutritious it's for you than going straight to the source and everything. You know, I think just like when you're a uh, raw vegan, 
I think that's when you're getting the most nutritious from the plants and herbs and the fruits and vegetables, even though a lot of this stuff with the GMO has been tampered with, but I still think there's still more health nutritional properties compared to as it goes through each process, it loses some vitamins and minerals and everything. Just like it's better for you to eat the orange where you eating the fiber and everything else. But then when you take that orange and break it down to orange juice, then, you know, a lot of things are lost between that orange and the orange juice and everything. Yeah. Well, with that, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready and close out this podcast for this week? Okay. Our loving Father, we thank you again that we can enter into discussion and also to be able to lay down the plan of salvation. Now we ask, Lord, that your blessing may be upon us, that as we desire to walk in the correct way, to do the principles of the scriptures that you would inundate us of what to do and what not to do through the intuition of the Holy Spirit, that we can know what is right and what is wrong, what to and what not to do in the sense, Lord, that we have been led by thee. Continue to guide and direct each one of us, O Heavenly Father. Remember those who are sick and shut in, those, O Heavenly Father, who are looking for shelter, who may be on the streets, that they may be able to find some place, O Heavenly Father, that they can lay their head. Remember those, O Heavenly Father, who have suffered the loss of loved ones, that thou would comfort their hearts. Now, fathers, we continue to go throughout this Shabbat, that you would give us a Shabbat blessing, that when we eventually come into a new week, we shall have been revitalized, renewed, and recreated in such a way that we can be able to carry on a better life all because we have taken time to observe your Sabbath to give us the rest we need. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Even if the question is not about what the topics we are talking about and let's talk about it or what the pastor is speaking on, feel free to email us less so we can discuss it. We look forward to all your comments and your questions. All paths of Yahuwah are mercy and truth unto such as to keep his covenant and his testimonies. Matthew twenty five ten. Until next week, Shalom.